You are now tuned in to the Decoding Success Podcast, where we reveal game-changing habits, formulas, and routines from the world's most successful individuals to help you think and live larger. What is going on? It is your host, Matt Labrie, and we are back. Another episode of the Decoding Success Podcast, and I am stoked you are here because today we have a very special guest joining us. But before we get into that, I want to show my gratitude as I continue delivering on my promise of adding value through this channel two times per week. So whether you've tuned in before or hey, maybe today's your first time joining us, I just want to say thank you for the love. If you can subscribe and rate this show once you finish listening to this episode, it would mean the world to me. Now today, Our special guest is Dr. Jen Caudill. Dr. Jen is a board-certified family medicine physician and associate professor in the Department of Family Medicine at Rowan University's School of Osteopathic Medicine. She appears as a regular on-air health expert for local and national news networks, including The Today Show, Dr. Oz, CNN, Fox News, Rachel Ray, Steve Harvey, and many, many more. So I am so excited to have her on because she drops an immense amount of value ranging from health to personal development and I can't wait for you to check it out. Literally at one point during this episode, I caught myself at a loss of words because everything she was saying was so relatable and spot on. So let's hop right in. Dr. Jen, thank you for joining us today. I truly do appreciate your presence. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Of course, of course. So let's hop right in. Um, as The way I start this show is asking individuals that take the time out of their day to define their version of success because I'm a firm believer that everyone's allowed to have their own definition of success. And to top that off, it's like the the answers are out there. So I would love to know, how do you define success? So, you know, I think of success as um, being or accomplishing what's important to you. Um, And success for some person, one person might be, you know, having a good relationship with their children. Success for someone else might be, you know, getting a job promotion. Success for someone else might be, um, you know, overcoming dyslexia. It it really is so, so individual. And it really, I think, has to do with what are the hopes and desires of the person um, and, and, you know, how they're able to sort of navigate those challenges and achieve their hopes and desires. So that's what I think success is. For sure, for sure. Now, if you ever felt yourself getting off of that track, you know, in regards to your definition of success, how do you find yourself getting back on track? Well, first, let me say, I, I, I often feel like I'm off track. I mean, I think that, um, I think that, that it, I think it's very natural and very common, more so than we realize, to feel like, gosh, it's not working, or I'm not doing what I want to be doing, or what I want to be doing. I'm not able to do, uh, you know, I'm not able to get there. I think those are very, very common feelings. And I, that's the first thing I want to say, because I think that a lot of people, sometimes we look at others and we say, gosh, they must never have any bad days. Everything must always go right. Um, no, that's, that's not the truth at all. There are many, many times when I feel like I'm off track or not focusing or not doing the best that I can or accomplishing what I want. So to answer your question, I guess, what do I do? You know, the first thing is, and usually I go through a range of emotions before I come to the solution, right? Usually I get frustrated. I might get sad. I might get overwhelmed. You know, those are natural emotions. But, you know, by the end of it, I'm, I'm usually able to stop and say, okay, look, what is it that we have to do? Is it that you need to get up earlier so that you can 
uh, get things done is that you need to create a to-do list. Actually, this is something that might sound silly, but I actually, in the last month, I kind of hit a roadblock and felt like I was too distracted and, and not completing all the tasks that I had on my plate. And I had to sit down and say, well, what's different and what can you do? And for me, it was like, simply going back to creating a to-do list, which I'd been doing for years, but just had fallen off the wagon with doing. Uh, so, you know, again, the solution can be anything, but but getting back on track for me often means stopping and evaluating, reevaluating, and then say, okay, what is it that I need to do to help change the situation? Or what steps do I need to do right now? And literally doing them before I have a chance to convince myself that they won't work or becoming too intimidated by them, no matter how large or small. Yeah, and I I love that whole to-do list thing. You know, that's something that I've personally been practicing recently, um, just laying out my daily task on top of my goals. But sometimes when I do that, I start to actually feel overwhelmed when I see that list. Now, you have so much going on, right? You have your practice, you have your media appearances on The Dr. Oz Show, Rachel Ray, Steve Harvey, and so many more. Uh, You teach at Rowan. Obviously, you have friends and family too. Like, how do you do or how do you, you know, handle all that without feeling overwhelmed? You know, honestly, sometimes I do feel overwhelmed. Um, And I think that that's a natural response to just being busy. I think it's, you know, you don't have to do those things and still feel overwhelmed. I think in the society that we live in, we live in a very sort of task and data driven society where we all have our phones in front of us 24 hours a day and we're bombarded with information and and work doesn't stop when we get home, for example, you know, it still continues. So, you know, I, I do think that being overwhelmed is something that, that happens to all of us. It certainly happens to me. You know, I go through phases where sometimes I'm more overwhelmed than others, but I do work very, 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 very hard to try to put in place what I call safeguards and sort of techniques and tactics to really help me keep balance. Um, I have to continually remind myself of relaxation techniques. And I also, for example, this is something that I've, I've struggled with over the years and have to remind myself is, you know, problematic thinking. Um, you know, sometimes I, I get into black and white thinking or I start, you know, the way that I think is something that I've come to understand that I have to be very thoughtful about. So I read a lot about how to think about things appropriately, how to deal with failure, what to do and how to think when when things don't go your way. Um, And I'm just being very frank and very honest, but I think some of not becoming overwhelmed has to do with understanding why you become overwhelmed in the first place. It's going to be different for everyone. For me, a lot of times I'm my own worst enemy in terms of how I think or how I respond to things. So that's something I've worked and still continue to work very hard on. For other people, it's that maybe that they don't shut off or that they don't make time for family or that they don't organize or that, you know, but so you've got to figure out what makes you overwhelmed and what maybe a root of the problem is and then focus on that. And so, yeah, so for, for me, that's a continual sort of evolving and it's, it's a work in progress. I'm always working to stay balanced in my mind in terms of how I think about my project and also, you know, with my tasks. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a very brief response, but I hope it's helpful that understanding why we're overwhelmed, I think is key to trying to prevent it. For sure. Now you talked about relaxation. Do you meditate? I don't meditate. Um, You know, meditation is something actually, I have to be honest with you, I've read a lot of books about it and it's something that I want to do. I just have to, it's it's on my virtual to-do list, I have to say, to try. I don't meditate, but some things that I do for me is uh, church is very important to me, for example. You know, sometimes just taking a walk just to clear my head. Um, that 
sort of my form of sort of, you know, zoning out and also swimming. You know, I get into a swimming pool and I just bounce around for a few minutes and it honestly, it sort of clears my head. So while I don't meditate, there are a lot of things that we can find that, that may or, you know, they may be simple, simple, they may be complicated, but help us sort of detach, unwind and reset. And I think that's what the goal is, what's really important. For sure. Now, you mentioned a couple things, and I'm going to tie it into this one question that I'm going to ask pretty selfishly. Um, so, you know, you mentioned walking, you mentioned swimming, you mentioned going to church, like, you know, that faith aspect of it. So I'm personally always on the go. Like, literally, I am always on the go. Um, what would be your top tips for someone like myself in regards to staying healthy, you know, both on a mental and physical level? Maybe I don't have time to hit the gym or, you know, I mean, I always right. have time to take a walk, but like, what, what are your tips there? That's a great question because, you know, in some ways I do feel like that as well. You know, I, I, uh, I practice um, in South Jersey. Uh, my family medicine practice I, I with Rowan University is in South Jersey, but I, I, I live in Philadelphia and I'm often in New York doing TV or, or traveling elsewhere. And so I, I feel like sometimes I run into maybe what you're describing. I'll tell you some of the things that I do, and everybody's really different. Um, I don't always have time to get to the gym myself, um, and uh, you know that's really important. So one of the things I try to incorporate is I try to keep track of my steps through. You know, I, I actually just use my phone to do that, but whether it's a fitness tracker or whatever. But you know, especially in those days in New York or in those days that I'm traveling, I'll literally walk a few extra blocks to try to get my steps in. Uh, it, it may not be, it's, it's not necessarily glamorous, but it's what I can do given what I have. So I'll park way away at the train station so I can walk a little bit further. I make sure, again, after my appearance, my TV appearance or whatever, I'm walking a few blocks before I get into that cab and head to the train station. For me, all of those things matter and I need them because I can't always get to the gym. So it really is about sort of incorporating those you know, at least the steps, that's very important for me to do. Another thing that I, I really try to do is I think that travel sometimes really makes it difficult to eat healthy. Um, it's one of the things I find really difficult when I'm traveling, whether it's just going to New York or, you know, going to Atlanta or wherever I'm going for TV or what have you. Um, and this is something I, I try to pay very close attention to. You know, sometimes I'm walking through airports and gosh, that burger looks amazing. Those fries sound so good. But I really try to keep to a healthy regimen because even though I want that burger, and I'm not going to lie, I do, um, I know in the long run, it's going to be better for me. And it's, a, it's my way of integrating health into that busy lifestyle. Um, I think the other thing is sleep. Uh, you know, I go through phases where sometimes I'm sleeping better than I am at other times. That's just who I am and what I've always, you know, who I've always been. I try to catch sleep when I can. And if I feel like I need a nap and I'm on a plane, I'll turn off my laptop and I'll take a nap. Um, I try not to turn away sleep because that's something that when I'm not well rested, things aren't good. So those are some three, you know, three uh, hacks that I try to keep in place um, just to try to keep things balanced, uh, even though I may not be in my home base. For sure. Now, one thing, you know, just from talking with you just now, reading your bio and things of the sort, I feel like you really embody consistency and discipline and it shows through your work and your work ethic. Now, you know, one thing that struck me and it, it's really amazing um, is the fact that like you got honors from Princeton, right? You, you went through all of the schooling. What is your advice for, you know, staying consistent, staying for the long haul? Um, you know, how, how can people overcome, you know, those, those self-depreciating thoughts that really might take them out of the game? 
Right. So um, I, have, I have two sort of thoughts about that question. And one is about, you know, how do you how do you sort of accomplish what you want or at least how what was something I did? And then the other is how do you overcome self-deprecating thoughts and stuff like that? The first the first thing I'll, I'll talk about is the first part, which is basically, you know, what, what do I think is the, the key to, to the successes that I've had? And I'll be honest with you, I'm not the smartest person in the room. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I think of myself as relatively intelligent, but I'm, I've never been the smartest person in the room. I was never the best cellist. I was never the best beauty pageant contestant. I was never the best med student. I was, you know, good at all of those. I think for me, the, 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 the biggest thing that's helped me throughout has been I just, I work, I work, I work. I, I outwork other people. I work harder than other people. And, what I'm saying is it's not that, that, that you have to be that way, but for me, that was my way. And it still is. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I, I worked really, really hard and, and I have to be honest with you, you know, sometimes like with TV, a lot of people think you know, TV is, is, is amazing. I love doing television, going on the news and talking about health issues because it's my chance to talk to, more than who would just be in my office room at my family practice office. But people don't understand what that means. You know, I just did Fox and Friends first last week. Um, my hit time was 4.50 in the morning, but I was actually up at 2 in the morning. I'd gotten into New York around 11.30. I didn't get to sleep until after midnight. I was up at 2 doing hair and makeup. The car picked me up at 3, 3.30 or so. I was at the studio for more hair and makeup and prepping, and I was on air at 4.50. I was back on a train at 5.30 coming back home and was back in Philadelphia by 7. And so I think what people don't always understand is the stuff that happens behind the scenes, that hard work is valuable. And sometimes we achieve success just because we're willing to work harder than the next person. And that's what I would say for anyone out there is that, you know, being able and being willing to work hard goes a long way because oftentimes there are just others who are not willing to do that. So that's one thing. Um, the other, the other part to that you asked is how overcoming self-deprecating thoughts is, um, you know, no, I'm not always great at it, you know, and this is sort of part of the, what I was talking about earlier in the, in the podcast about, um, you know, how to manage my mind. As I mentioned before, I can be my own worst critic. I can be very hard on myself. I can have self-deprecating thoughts. I can, I, you, know, you know, no matter what I've done, there are times where I feel like I haven't done enough. I haven't done what I wanted. I see other people. I start comparing. I go in the same tailspin that we all do. Um, and I want people to know out there, it doesn't matter who you are. We're all, we're all potential victims of this. And so for me, I have to work very, very hard at staying balanced. And I read a lot about mental management, about psychology, about how our thoughts affect how we feel. I try to pay attention to what my thoughts are and, and identify, hey, look, you're comparing yourself or, hey, look, you've just decided that you're not going to be able to do X, Y, or Z just because it hasn't happened yet. Um, becoming cognizant and very, very almost hyper aware of how I think has been really helpful for me. It's been, it's been tough. It's been a hard process because we're talking about unwinding years of thought and ways of thinking. But I'm saying this because I think in this day and age of social media, we're always looking at other people. The comparison game is whether you want to compare yourself or not, it is happening. Yeah. And that's why I say it's even now more than ever, it is so important to really understand how you think, understand how it affects you, and work to make changes that will be productive for you and healthy. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more, especially about that social media comment. Now, I want to backtrack just a little bit because I feel like you touched on two things you were passionate about, and that was being a musician and something that I was totally shocked by when... No, well, I'm not shocked by it, but I was just surprised. I'm like, wow, what more can Dr. Jen be doing? But you were in the Miss America pageant as well. So those seem like two things that you're passionate about or you were passionate about, whatever the case is. What advice would you have for someone that, and, and just in regards to having the courage to go after that passion? Right. Um, so, well, let me tell you very quickly my story about Miss America, because um, I think this is important too. Um, you know, I grew up, uh, I'm, I was born and raised in Iowa, and I'm an African-American female. I, I, used to, I used to watch Miss America pageant back in the 80s when I was a kid, and I never thought that that was me. You know, I was this dorky kid who had acne and braces, and I played in the school band, and I just, you know, I was never the popular kid, never had boyfriends. You know, I'm just painting a picture so you get who I, I really was. And I used to watch the pageant growing up and think, wow, gosh, that's amazing. But it never dawned on me that that would be me. Um, and to be honest with you, I grew up not wanting to or, or, or having a goal to be in a pageant. It was, I was a sophomore at Princeton. I, I came home for Easter break um, back to Iowa and I was at, at church with my, my family. And there was a woman on a local board for the Miss Iowa pageant, uh, Miss Scott County. It was a local pageant that you have to do first. And they were looking for contestants. And for Miss America, a lot of people don't know Miss America is the world's largest scholarship organization for women. People don't know that. They confuse it with other pageant organizations. The difference with Miss America is that you have pageants do not. And it's a scholarship organization. So women don't win modeling contracts. You don't win television episodes. You win money for school. And when I learned about that, honestly, I have to tell you, I mean, I looked at myself and was like, wait, are you serious? Are you really asking me to be in a pageant? But it was a scholarship money aspect that made me say, I'll try it. Uh, you know, at Princeton, I worked, I worked a million jobs. I delivered newspapers. I worked in the uh, dining hall. Like I worked in ca the cafeteria. I worked in the music department. I had a work study job. I played string quartet gigs. I mean, we couldn't afford it. You know, my parents were teachers. So I needed the money and that was the big motivator. And that's what I think really tried to help me. Now, on, let me just tell you this. I've only done four pageants in my life between the ages of 20 and 21. I did two local pageants. I made it to Miss Iowa. I won Miss Iowa and then I competed in Miss America in 1999. I didn't win. I wasn't close. You know, I wasn't in the top 10. Um, so I don't know where I, I placed. But what it did was it, it gave me scholarship money to help pay for school, which I needed. Now, to get to the aspect of what helped me overcome it, this is what you need to understand is that I told you what I was like growing up. By college, I'd gotten my act together a little bit better, but I was still overweight by pageant standards. I still didn't have the look by pageant standards, and I had to get, get it together real quick. I had to kind of learn the lingo of pageants. I had to look at other girls and see what they were buying and what they were doing and the tricks of the trade. I had to you know, get healthier. I had to start eating better. I had to figure out how to put on makeup. Um, it was almost like pageant boot camp for my, myself. Um, you know, it's not like, you know, all of a sudden I got asked to do this pageant, but I was pageant ready. I wasn't pageant ready. I was still the same kid. I just had to figure it out. And the motivator was the scholarship money. Um, but, you know, look, I have to be honest with you. I was, in, I was, there was part of me that was embarrassed. 
I didn't tell anybody at Princeton I was in it. I didn't know what people would think of me being in a pageant. You know, pageants sometimes get a bad rap. And I, I, I wanted to be thought of as a serious cellist and a woman who was going into medicine. And, you know, so I, I tell these, these details because I don't want it to look like I just did pageants and, no, it was very complicated and complex. And it was a time actually where I spent a lot of time actually questioning who I was. And I said, gosh, what is it going to mean if I do a pageant when I want to be a doctor or when I am a cellist? And I'll tell you the big thing I learned from that. See, the biggest and probably I think the most important thing and, and lesson I ever got was from doing pageants, which I still love. I am a Miss America supporter to this day. The scholarship money that I was awarded has still has continued to help me year after year, and I am grateful. But I think one of the biggest things that experience taught me was that you can be more than one thing. You know, I had this unilateral binary idea of what it meant to be successful, what it meant to be a future doctor, to be a cellist or whatever. And pageants didn't fit into that. And this didn't fit into that. And what I realized is you decide for yourself who you're going to be. You create your own rules. And be, being a pageant contestant where all of a sudden I'm wearing rhinestones on stage and wearing a bikini and high heels, which I never thought I would do, juxtaposed with this Princeton person and the, 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 the medical school and all this stuff, I had to reconcile in my brain that, okay, well, wait a minute. Well, maybe you can be more than one thing. And maybe who you are is defined by simply who you choose to be and who you allow yourself to be. Maybe there aren't as many rules about this as it seems. And I think for me, it was that mindset that really allowed me to do everything else. The whole world all of a sudden became an option when I realized that being in a pageant wouldn't kill me. And wouldn't take away from my future as a doctor doing anything else. In fact, it enhanced it. In fact, it showed me what you can do. Yeah, I think, you know, you just dropped some great insight and that was super valuable, especially to me in regards to, you know, you can do more than just one thing. Like that really touched me. That was great. Now, I want to have a little bit of fun. So I've been asking these two questions to every interviewee that's hopped on this show. The first is, was there ever a time in your life when you received a piece of advice, whether that was direct, indirect, subliminally, whatever the case is, that you necessarily didn't want to hear at that time, but it proved to be true over time? Absolutely. I, I, was, a, I was a medical student uh, and I got in the TV bug. I had started understanding how I could talk about health information on the news and I just kind of got really excited about this. And for a very short period of time, I contemplated graduating from med school, but not doing a medical residency. A residency is what allows you to get a medical license to actually practice on people. If you graduate from medical school, you could be known as doctor, but you actually can't practice on people. It's the residency part, the real life experience that gives you your medical license and there are further exams and things like that. And that's what allows you to, to see patients. Well, you know, I got excited, you know, as I've done over the years, I kind of get, I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I, I want to do this and this and this and this and this. And, um, and I remember sitting down and talking to one of the deans of my med school at the time, just kind of spouting off all these things. And I was excited and motivated. And, and he told me at the time, he said, no, you can't. I said, what do you mean? He said, you have to practice. You have to practice medicine. You have to practice medicine to be able to talk about it. Now that's of course an opinion. It, but it's an opinion that I hold myself. 
And it's something that I, I have always felt and always believed that for me, talking about the news and talking about things like that, it's important for me to, do, to be doing it. Now, I, I felt that way because I was young and I was just, I, I wasn't insightful enough and practicing medicine has been the best thing in my life. But I was frustrated at the time. And there have been other times where people have told me, you're not quite ready. The, the not quite ready advice has always rubbed me the wrong way. I get angry when people tell me you're not quite ready or it's not quite time because it's always felt to me like someone's trying to tell me I can't. Now, let me tell you, there is some truth to not quite ready. Um, but I think that, you know, those are the times that I think that I've gotten the most frustrated is, no, you need to do something else or it's not quite time or you're not quite ready to go on TV. You need to be practicing. So, um, so even though it's frustrated me, I think it was really great advice. And I've, I've had other pieces of advice like that before, and it's not always wrong, not always bad. Now, if, if someone is ready for success and you could just be blunt and to the point with them and give them one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? Work, 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 work. work. And it's not about working you know, all the time. It's about working smart, obviously. But work. Be willing to put in the time and the effort and be willing to roll up your sleeves. I think sometimes with the social media world, and I say this not disparagingly because I use social media every day, but what I also say is that sometimes it looks like things have come easy for people and sometimes people don't realize all the work behind things. You have to be willing to roll up your sleeves and do the legwork and the groundwork. And I think that willingness is absolutely a key to success for anyone. Definitely. Now, Dr. Jen, I'm super grateful that you were here with us today. That means the world to me. Where could people find you on social media to stay connected with you? Absolutely. So, um, yeah, I'd love for uh, for you to follow me. Uh, I'm at Dr. Jen Caudle, that's D-R-J-E-N-C-A-U-D-L-E on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, I'm on Snapchat at Dr. Jen Caudle as well. I'm at Facebook at uh, Dr. Jennifer Caudle. So, oh, and my website, I should mention that. <laughs> my website is drjencaudle.com. Awesome. Do you have any special projects going on that people should be aware of? Oh, um, well, that's a great question. Actually, yeah, coming up for the holidays, I have a t-shirt line coming out, which I'm super excited about because I'm, I'm a fan of t-shirts and with motivational things and kind of, you know, cute little things. So I've got a t-shirt line coming out. Um, but the most important thing about that is that it's actually going to be a fundraiser to support uh, historically black colleges and universities. So um, I'll be releasing that actually in the coming week. So you can order before Christmas time. Um, but I'm really excited to be able to give back. And uh, that's something that's very important to me. That's amazing. I actually graduated from an HBCU and I actually just spoke at one in Mississippi, maybe in the beginning of November. So I love that. I'll definitely be checking that out. Uh, oh, that's awesome. Oh my God. I love to hear that. That's, that's awesome. For that's sure. Awesome. Again, Dr. Jen, thank you for being here today. I truly do appreciate your time. Thank you. And there you have it. That was such amazing insight from Dr. Jen. Man, uh, there is just so much I personally took away from this interview. And I'm super grateful for Dr. Jen's time. So again, thank you, Dr. Jen. And what resonated with me the most was that feeling of being overwhelmed. 
and you know how to maintain that balance while on the go i think that was super helpful and i feel like that can resonate with a lot of us who have dreams and goals and aspirations to be great in life so shout out to dr jen for providing us with all of that value as she mentioned you can find her on all the social platforms at dr jen caudle and you can find me at m-a-t-t underscore l-e-b-r-i-s my website is mattlebris.com where i actually have a free personal branding resource for you so if you head over there now now you can check that out and get it totally for free and one more thing don't forget to leave a rating and review for decoding success we would really appreciate that love and support we will be back on thursday with another episode stay tuned peace